If you have your Bibles, open them up to uh, new study today. We are we are going to start a new series today in the book of James. Let me ask you guys a question as we get started. How many of you guys, show of hands, don't be embarrassed when I ask you the question. If that's you, just own it, all right? How many of you guys, women included, own a pair of steel-toed boots? All right. Okay, well, you're going to need them for like the next couple of weeks here in church, okay? Because the, the, the Word of God, where we are at times, it, it steps on our toes. And, and it's designed and it's supposed to step on our toes, right? But I want to tell you guys, to, just don't throw things at me. Listen, don't hate the messenger. I don't, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. And, and in that, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you have no clue where I'm at. But, but basically, the book of James is a, is a no-nonsense book. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and, and his personality was, I, I call these guys in ministry, I have friends in ministry like this, I believe that my, my father-in-law to some degree is, is that style of minister, I call them preachers of righteousness, no-nonsense guys, type A personalities, and, and James was exactly that, he pulled no punches, he, he, he's, he's giving you very practical um, advice as we walk through the, the book of James, this little epistle. But James also, he, he doesn't fool around, and he challenges you, and, and basically he, he says things in, like grow up. He says things like put on your big boy pants. He's not the type that's going to put his arm around you and say, oh, it'll be okay, sweetie. He, he's, he's more personality to say, hey, you know, get it right. Let's go. Let's, let's do this. You got this. Now, James is very encouraging. James, James, what I love about it is you read and you know this personality about James. When you come to chapter 2, right in the beginning of chapter 2, James says he reminds us to love God and love one another. And he says, my beloved brethren. So even though James is an is a uncle, he's Uncle James that's, you know, he loves you and he's stern and he wants to tell you some things that you need to hear. And, and, and whether you like it or not, he's going to be the one to tell you. But, but he is coming from a place of love. And you, you really wouldn't be a, 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 an author in the New Testament if you, if you don't have all those things figured. Because the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And so though James is going to tell us some things, I was really encouraged as I, I read ahead and I, I came to this, this verse. And I've read the book of James tons and tons and tons of times. But I came to this verse today where James says, my beloved brethren, and then encourages us in loving God, loving one another. So in that context, we're going to come to um, the, the book of James. Hey, I want to give you guys a quick update. If you're still turning there, James chapter 1. Um, so I was going to need to borrow a Bible, by the way. We'd like for you to have a Bible. Larry's going to be happy to deliver one. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Larry's going to bring you one. Um, if if anybody has any questions or is wondering about the cafe, coffee shop, um, the plan has not changed. It's the same plan. It's always been the plan that we're building as God provides financially. So we, we've stopped, if anybody hasn't noticed, actually John came in and did a little bit of work on the coffee bar, but the, the construction work for the most part has stopped for about a month. The board met about a month ago, and I think I told you guys then, and the board said, um, well, they told me, um, do not spend another dollar on construction until we, we pay a few bills that we have, and, until, and then we need to begin to save for a new um, HVAC system. When we did our remodel project, we, we have very old um, HVAC systems that, that were four units. Um, we had to take one completely out, so now we're trying to do it with one unit. 
and they just we're, we're afraid that we're not going to be able to keep this place cool in the summer. And so we want you guys to be comfortable. So um, we, we need to, the, and we're going to shop it around a little bit. I thought it was a good number when I originally saw it, but the original bid, and I think it's like two um, five-ton units that go on the roof ducted, it was about 27000 for the whole project done. And so, um, so that's where we are right now. That's why we're not, we're not doing a lot of work on the coffee, on the coffee, coffee shop, the welcome center. You know, again, the vision is to put some couches and some tables and chairs and some refrigerators and a TV and, and finish that area, finish the coffee bar. Um, you know, countertops can, can get pricey. The first bid I got for the countertops was about 5400 we're going to try to do maybe something we're looking at doing it ourselves, kind of a scary project, but Jerry thinks he can tackle it. And then we would do, um, uh, I forget what it's called now. It's basically, it's poured in place, not concrete. It's uh, porcelain. That's not the right word. What, uh, epoxy. It's, and you could do like those cool colors in it and that kind of stuff. So I think that's kind of where we are with that right now. I think we can do that a lot cheaper. But just want to tell everybody, that's why nothing's happening in the lobby for a while. So right now, this morning, um, on my way to church, the church has, we have about $12,000 in the bank. The good news is, since, since we've kind of put construction on hold, we've paid all our bills. We, we had a little bit of bad debt that we occurred through the construction project. We have this insulation that, that kind of came last minute. It was $5,600. We had that on a credit card. We had something else on a credit card. So we had about $8,000 on a credit card. We got all the credit cards back to zero, have no, none of that debt. So now we're going to save until, um, thank you, we're going to save until, until we can get the HVAC done. HVAC is, is number one priority right now, so we can get through the summer. And as soon as we get through HVAC, then, um, and we get, we get back to having some, some the ability to finish. I, I really want to finish bad. I want to finish the coffee shop, the lobby, the conference room. I really do. But we just, we need to wait, and we're really concerned. Actually, I should say my, my Holy Spirit wife is really concerned. <laughs> that um, we're, we're going to be dying in here in the summer if we don't get the new HVACs installed, the new air conditionings installed. Y'all will thank you when you have AC in here. All right. Amen? Amen? Any questions? Talk to Jay after church. Any complaints? Talk to Larry. All right. So James chapter 1. Now, first of all, one of the things when we start a new book in the Bible is usually the authorship of the book is, is important. And so um, this particular James, now James in the Bible, he, he's like the Marys. You guys know, anybody got all the Marys in the New Testament straight? There's like six of them, and you never know which one is which. And um, James's can kind of be that way. It's like, it's like when I came to Utah, I think the first seven or eight people I met when I moved to Utah, their name were, were Brian. So I got to the point where I was like, dude, I got, this, I got this Utah thing licked. If I forget somebody's name, I'll just call him Brian, and there's a good chance that I'll be right. And then we started having a bunch of Chris's show up. At one time, we had about four Chris's here. The other two are gone now, but um, then they started giving me a hard time because there was a lot of Chris's here. But James, this particular James, um, James, uh, Jesus had two of the 12 disciples named James, James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, um, and then James the Less. And James the Less, he was just called, I guess that was just the way they decided to make a distinction between him and the other James. I don't know if I'd want to be called Chris the Less. There's Chris, and I'm Chris the Less. But, um, but that's the way they did it, and I'm sure Chris the Less or James the Less didn't mind because 
um, of his humility. But this particular James is neither one of the disciples. He wasn't uh, actually a follower or even a believer in Jesus Christ until um, something happened significant in his, in his life. This James is the half-brother of Jesus. The other half-brother of Jesus is a guy by the name of Jude, who also wrote that little letter in the New Testament by, by his name, Jude. So we have two of Jesus' real brothers, half-brothers, um, write books in the New Testament. Um, James, now we know, right, um, that Mary and Joseph, they, they had other children. Mary and Joseph, the Bible is very clear about it. You know, the, it says Jesus had brothers, and some say, oh, he didn't have real brothers. They were like, I would say, hey, what's up, brother, like in a spiritual sense. But that's not the case. It's not just not true. It's not Bible. It's not factual. The Greek word is, is a specific word that means siblings. And so Jesus had um, Mary and Joseph after Jesus, the first, the oldest was born. Je- Joseph and Mary got married. They consummated the marriage and they went on and they had other sons and daughters. We know that the Bible tells us that Mary had other sons and daughters. And so, um, but two of them, we know by name, James was one of them. Now, James was not a believer in Jesus. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you guys would believe that your brother, your half brother was God? How would you like to grow up with that? Your mom said, hey, how come you can't be more like your brother? He always makes his bed. He never sins. And you you got to grow up with that your whole life. But I, I, I don't care how good your brother was. He's still your brother. And there's no way you're believing that your brother is God. Now, now what's powerful to me about James and the story of James is we just got through where we just have been studying with Easter. Um, James would have been there when Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus, or James would have been there and seen Jesus do miracles and walk on water and at different times in his life. James actually cared for his brother Jesus. They had a great relationship. He just didn't believe he was God. There was a time where Jesus was super busy in ministry, and he was, he was just going and going, and he didn't take time to stop and eat. And his brothers and his sisters got concerned for him, and they went out and they said, man, he is beside himself, or he is crazy. And that's the same James. And, and, and all these things never convinced James that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah until a major event. Anybody know what that was? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It wasn't until after the resurrection. Now, who could deny that? I think it lends so much power to, to what we've been studying about the power of the resurrection because we have a firsthand testimony of somebody who, no matter what they saw in the life of Jesus, they still didn't believe. Now they had a problem believing because that was their brother. But when they saw Jesus die on a cross, placed in a grave for three days and rise again and appear to many, James became a believer in Jesus Christ. It tells us in Corinthians that Jesus appeared personally to his half-brother. James, this same James, he goes on and he becomes a leader in the early church. In Acts chapter 15, now we know, we know Peter was, was one of the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem. He, he, he ran the church kind of the way we see it. But actually, um, James was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. He was there. He was running the council in Acts chapter 15. Um, Two more things about James, and then we'll get into what he actually said. Um, James had, in which I love this, and this is, this is history, and you hear this all over in, in, in lots of different sources of secular and, and recorded history, that James was, uh, had a nickname. It was Camel Knees because he was known as a man of prayer and that literally 
he had a testimony of somebody who would pray. He would pray for the Jews. He would pray by the temple. He was constantly um, a, someone who believed in prayer. And no doubt, growing up with Jesus, one of the things that Jesus would have done, and in Luke's gospel records for us over and over and over and over again, is that Jesus removed himself to pray. Jesus removed himself to pray. Jesus removed himself to pray. So it was a regular practice of Jesus to, to be a man who, who, who would just during the day and things would be going on. He'd be traveling and he would take pauses through his day, Jesus would, and and pray. And and the other gospels mention it, but Luke really highlights it. And Luke really paints a picture of Jesus who spent a lot of time in prayer. And James would have would have seen that all Jesus' whole life. And so James got it and he became a, a real um man of prayer. And then the last um I guess thing you could know about James is that James died a martyr. Um and so he was thrown off the Temple Mount onto the southern steps, and then they came and they bashed him um, until he died. And so, and he never obviously recanted and 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 believed and as a believer in Jesus Christ up until the time of his death. James was very familiar with the Old Testament. Four hundred and fifty references in this little book to the Old Testament writings. All right, so let's read it. If you guys will follow with me, chapter one, I'm going to read the whole chapter because I just want to catch it in context. And and I think it's it's just uh, the word of God is powerful in itself. So let's read it together. You can follow along with me. I'm in the King James Version. It says, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in humiliation, because as the flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass, its flowers fall, its beautiful appearance perishes, so this rich man also will fade away in his pursuit. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning of his own he has of his own will he has brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures so then my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted words which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So um, I, I just forgot to mention, but today is the first Sunday of the month. So as you guys know, we receive communion on the first Sunday of the month. So after the service today, we'll receive communion as a family of believers. So um, I got to go quick through this. I was going to hope to cover the whole chapter today. We may not quite get the whole chapter, but we're going to try. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this term bondservant is something that Paul described himself as James and Jude. James was not one of the 12 apostles, so he doesn't claim apostleship. He didn't drop any names. He didn't say James, the half-brother of Jesus, and Mother Mary, as she's my mom too. And he, he didn't say any of that. He just humbly says he's a bondservant. Now, what a bond servant was is it's in the Bible. It's, it's prescribed in the law of Moses that if, if you had a, a slave every seven years, you were to release your slaves and there was freedom. And, and so if you served in somebody's house and at the end of, the, of your service and you were set free, let's say maybe you married in the house and you, you had a family or you, you just the guy that the family treated you well and that was your life and you wanted to stay you could become a slave by choice. It was called a bond slave or a doulos. And a doulos was marked with, with an awl in the ear. So they would put you against the, the wooden doorpost and they would drive a little cone through your ear until you had gauges. You guys thought you were new and, and hip, huh? God had you by like 3,000 years. And then he says one of our favorite verses in all the Bible. Well, actually, let's get to real quick. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad... So the 12 tribes of Israel throughout their history have been scattered all over the known world. Okay, Lots of different dispersions over um, history, Jewish history, starting about the time of um, Solomon, Solomon's son, um, on to Daniel, and, and all the way through, Jews have at different seasons been dispersed all over the world. One of the number one proofs that the Bible is true is the Jew. The, the Jew is, is God's proof. That, that, that the Bible is true. And we've had Aztecs and we've had Hittites and we've had um, Philistines and lots of civilizations and we've watched them come and go. But no civilization in history has ever been scattered abroad with no homeland like the Jews for over 2,000 years and remained their national identity, their, their language. They kept Torah, their culture, their, their, their ethnicity, and has kept their bloodlines pure and all those things because God has preserve the Jew in order to fulfill biblical prophecy that Jesus would come back to Israel and that he would gather his people. In the Revelation, God says during the last seven-year period, he's going to raise up 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God knows exactly where they are. They, some people say the lost tribes of Israel. If you ever hear that term, Bahumbug, there's no such thing. There never has been. God doesn't lose things. He's got a good vantage point from where he is. He can kind of see where, where he placed things, and he's never lost anybody. But the Jews definitely were scattered abroad. And then it says in verse 2, My brethren, everybody, K 
Count it all joy. You guys are like, let's try that again. Everybody, count it all joy. One more time, everybody. Count it all joy when you win the lottery. Is that what it says? Count it all joy when you get a new car. Count it all joy when you get a big fat raise at work. No, it says count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Listen, I want to tell you something. It's something that I think I'm pretty clear for as a pastor, as a um, teacher here, lead teacher here, is that um, in, in your walk as a Christian, one of the things that you can expect is trials. One of the things that I, I, I've tried to teach us, you guys, and I think it's powerful for me, and I want to communicate that and encourage you guys in kind of the same way of thinking. But one of the things that as, as you make opinions about the Bible, as you make doctrine, as you, you look for things that you're trying to solidify in your own heart as you study, if you can find something, a certain topic, and you can find something that Jesus said about it, Paul said about it, the other, the other epistles, Peter, um, here with this particular count it all joy when you fall into various trials, we have Jesus who says the same exact thing. We have Paul who mentions it in two different of his letters. We have Peter who mentions it, and now James. And so I like it, you know, baptism, for example. When we're looking and studying baptism, what did Jesus say about it? And how did Paul comment on it in the epistles? And is it mentioned anywhere else? And what do the other writers say? And we, we put those things together. Now, real quickly, this idea that, that we are going to have trials and tribulation in this life. Now, there's doctrine out there. There's, there's churches and pastors and some of the things on TV was what we call um, the faith or prosperity gospel that became very famous. Okay? The thing about the prosperity gospel is that it's not Bible. It's not Jesus. No person in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, ever lived a happy, healthy, wealthy life. Matter of fact, what you find is those that, that get closer to God and are heavily used by God, they face way more trials and temptations and, and struggles of life than, than anybody else. The Apostle Paul, when, when he lists, and he's trying to be careful that he's not, you know, he's not boasting or bragging, he's telling you what's going on. But the list is like this long on the page of the trials that Paul went through as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's not whether or not you're going to face trials. This doesn't say count it all joy if you fall into various trials. This says count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's a part of life. Listen, we should face it. We should embrace it. We're even told here to count it all joy. How many of you guys do that? None of us, right? Or it's not, it's not really something that, that we relish in. Now, real quick, I don't, I don't want to leave it undone. I was thinking about skipping it, but... I'm not going to do it. John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Listen, this is Jesus talking. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Jesus, there's where we get it from Jesus. And he says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Paul tells us multiple times. I just picked one in Romans chapter 5. Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So Paul says we glory in tribulations. Peter tells us, the same thing, right? Peter says, 
Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange things happen to you. That's the way we act sometimes, right? Like, what is this foreign, strange thing going on in my life? And Peter says, don't, don't act like some foreign, strange thing has happened to you, that, that as believers, we should receive that. Now, now we want to, um, and, and nobody really likes it, right? I mean, I remember for the men's, um, for our men's um, challenge, and we've done it a couple times, but it was a genuine move of God's spirit both times. It is we've said, you know, we're going to actually pray for trials. How many of you guys raise your hand where you pray for trials? Nobody's hands up. And, and, and I would never tell anybody to pray for trials in the flesh. I really wouldn't. It, it's not a wise thing to do, right? But the reality is when, when we get to this depth and we understand and we study the passages and we go through that God uses trials in your life to build character, to build hope, to build patience, to build faith. There's only certain things in this life as a Christ follower that you can learn through trials. You won't learn them any other way. You know, hardship oftentimes develops character. Some of the people that have suffered the most hardship as young people growing up in life, and um, they, they developed the most character through it. And God, as a good father, he allows things in your life to build character in you. But what he wants to do is he wants you, you to allow him to have his way in your life and that you can trust him, that he's got your best interest at hand that God is absolutely going to take care of you. Now, listen, do you understand that um, if, you, if you fancy yourself as a Christ follower, a Christian, born again, that you've been bought with a price? You understand that? Do you guys, does that offend anybody that, that you belong to Jesus? He's bought you with a price. He paid for you with his blood, which means you're his. James understood that when he described himself as a bondservant, a willing slave of Jesus Christ, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Listen, as a bondservant of Jesus, can then Jesus do what he wants in our lives? What, what, if, what if he wants you to face cancer? What if he wants you to face certain things or allows, maybe not wants, let's not put it that way, that's probably not a good way to put it. If he allows you to face hard things in your life, can he not do that? Will you not serve him? Will you not grow up and step up and, and understand that, you know, as Job understood, and we have that amazing example of Job, and Satan shows up in heaven, and God says to, to, to Satan, thanks, God, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless and an upright man. He serves me in all of his ways. And Satan said, no, that guy only serves you because look what you've blessed him with. He's the richest guy on planet Earth. He's got ten wonderful kids. He's got a wife. Everything's good. He only, he only serves you because of what he has. Let me go down and take what he has, and he'll curse you to, his face, to your face. And God says, okay, you, you may, but don't touch his life. And, and then Satan goes down. And in one afternoon, all of Job's livestock dies. Now, in the old days, they didn't use cash. If you had livestock, that was your riches. That was your money. So he's flat broke. And, and then as the guy's running into Job's house to tell him what's happening, that all of his animals just died in this big calamity, another person is running up to tell him that all of his kids, all ten of his children were having a party, and the roof collapsed, and all ten of his children are dead. And Job has absolutely nothing left, except for his wife. And you wonder, why didn't Satan kill his wife? Well, you figure out why, because he was going to use her. 
So his wife comes in and he says, Job, you should just curse God and die. This is terrible. And Job said, naked I came in and naked I will go. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but I will bless the name of the Lord God. And it says, and in all this, Job did not sin or charge God falsely. He didn't charge God. God didn't do those things to him. And I know that it's, it's splitting hairs, and I know it's something that we have to walk, and it's something that we have to get our grasp around. But what James is going to tell us, guys, listen, is grow up, get big, understand God's not doing these things to you, and, 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 but it's sixes, right? Because you say, well, if he's not doing it, what's the difference? He's allowing it. God will allow it. He'll allow it because he loves you. He'll allow it because in that he can prove you and he can encourage you. He can help you. He can build character in you. There's things he wants to do in your life that can't be done any other way. And what if by something that you're going through, somebody else knows Jesus? Somebody else becomes a believer in Jesus for all of eternity. Would you allow something in your life, something hard, that would, that would rescue somebody else from hell if God wanted to use it that way in your life? You know, and those are, those are the, the hardships of trials. But, but this is a part of life, and, and, and for us to find some joy in it. You know, we, we always are, are looking for here, and me personally, you know, what I call faith stories. And when, when, when I was a young pastor, I didn't have a lot of my own faith stories, like amazing things that God did in our ministry and and in our life, it was like I had to tell all the stories of my pastor because I'd hear him tell his faith stories. And I can remember getting to a point where I was like, God, I can't keep telling their faith stories. I need my own. And, and, and in order to, to get faith stories, you had to step out in faith. And we stepped out in faith. And, we, and now today, six years later, I have some amazing faith stories that God's done right here in this ministry and, and, and in Tooele and in my life and in my family's life. And, you know, we, we, we've seen God work. And, it, and it's been with lots of trials and lots of struggles. You know, we, we walked through, as a family, Lydia's mom dying with pancreatic cancer. She was faithfully serving the Lord for 30 years. And it just made no sense. But in that, at her, her celebration of life service, Three people got saved and asked Jesus in their heart to be their Lord and Savior. You know, I can remember, um, and this is later in the service, you guys, in my notes here, but I, I want to talk about it now just because it's on my, on my tongue. The idea of why. When we face trials and tribulations. Now, one of the things that I, I used to share is that um, as you mature as a believer in Jesus, less and less do you, do you want to know why. It's not really necessarily a good question. The, the, the good question that we want to have in the lesson of counting it all joy when you fall into various trials is, God, what now? God, I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer. What now? God, I'm going through this. What now? What now? What do you want, God? I want to be a good witness. I want to, I want to serve you, Lord. And, and Lydia's mom, as she walked through, through um, pancreatic cancer, and pancreatic cancer is an absolute killer, 99.99% of all people ever diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, um, have died through it. And, and her first words out of her mouth were, I want to be a good witness. I want to I persevere. And, and so, you know, having that attitude of, of not why. Now, but I, will, I will do want to say this. You can ask God why. I think our natural um, question in, in hardship is we, we want to know why. Now, now, you don't want to, you know, with a certain, why, God, why, why me? 
Like that's, that's, that's what God wants is for us to grow up, for us to mature through that, for us to stop whining. And, and, and but in a sincerity of heart, everybody, we want to know why. But oftentimes, but I will tell you this, God doesn't owe you always an answer to why. Do, do you, as a good mother or a good father to your own children, every time you tell them to do something, every time you encourage them, every time you instruct them, do you owe them an explanation of why? My two-year-old thinks I, does, I do. Why, Daddy, why? Why, Daddy, why? We're going to take Caleb to his game. Why, Daddy? Because he's, he's, he's got a game. Why, Daddy? Because uh, he likes to play baseball. Why, Daddy? Like, oh, my word. Um, She's in that age. It's cute, you know. Um, so God doesn't necessarily owe us a why, but it, it's, it's okay. It's natural, right? I don't think it's unnatural. I remember Lydia telling me that um, she was asking the Lord why her mom died. And one of the things that God, God ministered to her through that was he said, even if I told you the why, it, it wouldn't bring the healing that you're looking for. It wouldn't just make things better if I told you why. And she just felt like that, that, that even if God did, exactly tell her why and we have some reasons god did share some things with lydia god did um encourage her through that and in, in, in getting some closure on some of the why but but not really but what she did do was she said no matter what no matter when no matter why no matter where i will serve the lord and that's just the place we got to get to in life that, that no matter what happens we're willing to serve the lord with our lives that we're willing to take the good and the bad from the Lord, that we understand that our lives are his and that there's work to do and that, that there's, there's, there's lives that God wants to touch through us and, and allow God to do what he wants to do. Amen? And it says um, in verse number three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect work. Somebody say perfect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, verse four um, this, this work of trials doing a, a work in your life, listen, you have to understand, it says it's perfect work. If something is perfect, can it get better? No, it's already perfect. You guys aren't sure? You guys look at me already just... If it's a perfect, it can't get any better. So, so the only way, like I said, that, that God can do certain things in our lives are with these trials, and they work. Um, it's a perfect work that God wants to do in your heart and life. In verse 5 it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally. Everybody say liberally. And without reproach. Everybody say reproach. And it will be given to him. So this, listen, the book of James is both practical and, and it's, and it's um, direct. Now here, this is just English, right? This is practical. Does anybody in here never in your life lack wisdom? Okay, we all do, right? We all admit by nobody raising their hands, thankfully, because I didn't want to see lightning come through the roof. But um, that we at times, oftentimes, we lack wisdom. You know what I always tell people? What's so funny and so crazy about this offer? God offers to bring wisdom into your life. And, and, and sometimes we don't take him up on that. But what's so funny to me and so ironic, and I'm that way too, right? I, I could be watching TV and an infomercial comes on. And some Tony Robbins type could say, hey, I have all the, you want to have a, a, a perfectly well-oiled machine? Do you want your business to make three times what it's making today? You try these easy four steps uh, to success and happiness and business and, and, and I'll get your business on track. And I have a proven method to make your life 
better, to make your business better. We'd be like, oh, what's the phone number? 1-800-SEND-YOU-MY-MONEY because you're the only one that gets rich in these schemes. Right? And we, we would sign up. We would, we, would take, we would pay attention. And God makes the same offer, and sometimes we, we miss. I can remember telling somebody one time, like in a kind of back doorway, like, like that same thing. What, what, what would you do if, if, if I could really unlock some real wisdom in your business? And, and every, every business decision that you make would be the perfect and right decision. Would you take that? What about in relationships? What about in decisions that you need to make in raising children? And God just says real simply, you guys, if you lack wisdom, ask me through prayer. And I'll not only give it to you liberally. Does everybody know what liberally means? Generously in abundance. But I'll also, I'll give it to you without reproach. So that means he's not going to be like, oh, what are you, what's wrong with you, dummy? You don't know, you don't know those things? Oh, you keep asking me the same question. You, you, don't, you don't learn very fast. He's going to do it without reproach. He's going to give it liberally. And he wants to do it in your life. So, so you know, honest, and I think if we're all being honest, right, if you're, we, we probably, something we do do often too, where we're asking God for wisdom. You know, I, I, I think for us as Christ followers that any decision you make, and it just takes a few minutes, just pause. And whether you get a clear answer or not, at least pause and ask God for wisdom in that decision. Ask God for direction because he wants to give it to you. He's a good, good father. He's not trying to hold it back from you. And he says, if you lack wisdom, what an amazing promise there. In verse 6, it says, um, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So again, no, no doubting, just, just ask in faith, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the, bur- with the burning heat than it withers the grass and flowers fall and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So basically, um, verses 9 through 11, you know, death is the great equalizer. And, and the Bible says, you know, James is going to go on. We'll get it next week or the following week. And he's going to talk about not um, showing partiality to rich people. He's going to say where we should pure and undefiled religion is to, is to serve and love people that can't pay you back. Jesus said the same thing. And so this is the idea that, you know, to, if, if you're lowly, then, then glory in that. Have, have joy in that. If you don't have anything, now why, why would that be a godly principle or reason to have joy? Because when, when you're in that place, it's really the only place in life where you have to fully rely on God for everything. And that's a good place to be. You know, again, that's, that's another prayer that we've had as we started this church was, was God put us in a place that we have, you have to show up and do a miracle in order for this to work. Like when we step out in faith, we're stepping out knowing that if you don't show up and do a miracle, we're going to be in trouble. Moses was backed up to the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was following him. Two million Jews and the Red Sea in front of them, they were going to drown unless God showed up and did a miracle. And so um, that's a good place to be when you, when you don't have anything. And we don't always have that opportunity. You know, one of the dangers of wealth and riches is, you know, and I've met people this way. And, and, and as I've gotten older, you know, when Lydia and I were newly married, like we had so many opportunities where like we didn't literally know how we were going to pay our next bill. And, you know, and as, as, you know, life went on and we may both made more money that those times became a little more far and 
farther between, but it was exciting in the early days to, to really always have to rely on God for everything. But, I, but I, I've seen people who, who do well, and, and just in conversation, their attitude is usually like it's, it's void of God because they've come accustomed to being able to trust in the wealth and the riches. So there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with riches. Many of the people, Job, Abraham, all lots of people in the Bible, God blessed them monetarily. And there's no danger in that. The danger is trusting in those things. And so being careful that we don't do that. And then it says um, in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Okay, highlight verse number 12. Underline it in your Bibles, you guys. There's, there's five, six crowns in the New Testament that God offers to the believer. So when you get to heaven, you have opportunity to earn one or all six of these crowns. Here, one day I keep threatening that I'm going to do a study on the crowns that the Bible offers in the New Testament. Um, but here's one of them. And this is a crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who do what? Verse 12. No. Those who love him. Those who love him. How many of you guys want to earn those six crowns in heaven? I want to earn five because one of them is being a martyr. (laughs) Um, Yeah, unless it's quick and swift, like off with the head or something. But um, this, this one's pretty simple. It's feel, love God. Return to your first love. Be a person who loves Jesus. Spend time. You know, the, the proof is in the pudding if you love God. You spend time with him. You pray. You, 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 you love God. And then it says in verse 13, um, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So this concept of, of tempting and trials. Now, um, we've we got to make a distinction between them. I'm going to try to do my best in the next like two or three minutes, and then we're going to close with this of, of telling you the difference. Now, here it says, don't ever say when you're tempted that, that God tempted you. God doesn't tempt anyone to evil, okay? So it says temptations. It tells you where temptations come from. They come from where? Verse 14, tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So I'm driving my car and somebody cuts me off. And I'm mad and I'm angry and I want to give them the number one sign. You're number one. Um, so as I'm there and I'm, I'm making a split second decision and, you know, am I going to go and cut them off and roll my window down and get road rage on them? And that's my, what, kind of what I want to do, right? But the voice that's speaking to me that's saying, yeah, you know, flip them off and, and cuss them out, that voice doesn't come from God. That, that never comes from God. God doesn't never tempt you to evil. Satan does that. And in every situation in life, when you're feeling a desire, a, a, a temptation, it comes from your own evil lusts, your own desires, your own selfish desires. God doesn't tempt anybody. Now, where, where again, where we split hairs is that God does allow temptations in your life, but God also stands with you. And you know what God is doing in that situation when I'm driving in my car? 
the Holy Spirit is encouraging me to react in the Spirit, to let it go, to pray for Him, to do spiritual things, to do godly things. That's the voice of God. That's the voice of encouragement. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm tempted. I, I, I'm, I, you know, we've all probably had similar things happen, right? You go, you do some shopping somewhere, you, you pay, and you, you get maybe even out to your car, and you realize, you know, they gave you back way too much change, or they gave you back a $100 bill on accident, and you're like in the parking lot. Now, you have a choice to make, right? It's a simple one here, but you go back in, and you give it back, and you make it right, or you get in your car, and you leave, and there's going to be a voice in your head that's telling you, you know, they that's a billion-dollar company or whatever. If you're at Walmart, they can afford it. Just get in the car and go. Give it back to them next time or something. You know, that voice never comes from God. God doesn't tempt anyone. Okay? That's clear? Okay? But listen, God uses and allows trials in your life. We're going to close with this, this last little story. Um, Satan tempts you. The Bible calls one of the titles of Satan is that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's the tempter. It's Satan. It's the demons. It's, the, it's, the, it's those things that are telling you, encouraging you, trying to get you to do what is, um, what is wrong. But Joseph um, was, was a young man who, and, and really, guys, the whole Bible, and I could pick lots of examples. We're going to pick one. We're going to close with this story, and then we're going to invite you guys to come up, invite the worship team up to have, uh, and we'll, we'll receive communion as we close today. So Joseph, if you're not familiar, he, he was in the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs. God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, the third in line from Abraham, his name was later changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. The first name of the 12 sons of Israel are today the 12 tribes of Israel. So one of his youngest sons was a young man named Joseph. And Joseph, who was the second youngest, had one younger brother, Benjamin. Joseph, one day he's sitting around the table and he tells his, all his older brothers, and you have to understand in a patriarchal society, this would not have gone over well, like a fart in church. Um, he says, hey, I had a dream and you guys all bowed down to me, talking to his brothers. And then the next night he says, oh, I had another dream. And all, my, all, you, all you guys bowed down to me and mom and dad bowed down to me. And by this time, his brothers are pretty twisted, right? They're like, what is wrong with this dreamer? And they called him dreamer. That was a prophecy that God gave Joseph that was going to come true. And Joseph knew it in his heart that God was going to use him for greatness one day. But what happened for the next 20 years of of, of Joseph's life was struggle after struggle after struggle after struggle. His brothers tried to murder him. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused of rape and imprisoned. He wasn't set free. He, he, he had trial after trial after trial after trial. And after two decades, God raised him up, and, and he became the Savior at the time, physical Savior of the entire nation of Israel and God's people. He became the most powerful person on planet Earth and preserved a whole nation. But God had to build character in him. God had to to train him, and it was through those seasons of trials and training that God was doing something big in his life and heart. And Joseph allowed God to do it. And and later, when Joseph's brothers came in, and that dream that he had about them bowing down, he he was he was hidden to them as the as the pharaoh, as the ruler in Egypt. They didn't recognize him at first. 
when they realized who he was, they were afraid and they all bowed down exactly and fulfilled the prophecy that God gave him. And then, jo- and then Joseph says something very powerful to his brothers. They thought that he was going to kill them. And Joseph said, what Satan intended for evil, God meant for good. And if you'll allow it in your life, God will use it for good. Amen? Amen.